Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro in-game, don't be afraid to friend me, my co-host Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer, and our intrepid friend Ben, or B. Grasher, lurking in the background. We're at episode 14. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. It's not working. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, so please give us a five-star rating. So this week, uh, first thing I want to do is shout out to all our listeners. We've gotten over 60 deck lists this week, which was amazing, and there's been like a lot of great feedback and back and forth and compliments and just a lot of talking in our email, which has been really awesome. So I don't know if this will be an every week segment, but one thing I wanted to do this week is start our listener of the week segment. So this week, I want to give a special shout out to Raven Dragon for being an awesome fan and persevering through this new format and getting her first seven win of the new format. So she's having better luck than me. And also a shout out because she comments on all of our Reddit posts and is just really great to talk to. So thank you, Raven Dragon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for commenting. We appreciate it. Yay. So like she's our, yeah, our first ever listener of the week. Now, I guess the exact opposite is I do have to announce that I'm officially starting a podcast feud with the Misplay <laughs> podcast. And in particular, uh, Gato Sujo keeps beating me when I can't fall asleep at 2 a.m., and it's taking advantage of my delirious state. So listeners and co-hosts, show no mercy. Enough about me. How was your draft week? <laughs> Mine was really good. have done nothing but seven wins for the last few. And it's been going well. I, I kind of went back to, like, you know, isomorphics strategy we talked about way back mm-hmm. on that episode about... You, you know, t- really taking my time to stay open. Also, kind of talking to Cassandrath really helped a lot because he kind of framed things really well for me in terms of how to approach the synergistic elements of this new draft and the tribal stuff. Like, it's not taking too many risks early on in your draft to go out of your way for those cards. And I've kind of stepped back and allowed the decks to kind of come to me more and stayed more open into pack two even to really wait because i still do think defiance cards are really strong and figuring out what's open in those two packs is also pretty critical for developing the most powerful deck i mean of course the a part of me really like wants to force sentinels and stuff sometimes i just really love those decks and I, I think it's risky to force anything right now. And I think that I, I had more success when I I stopped... Exper- I was kind of in an experimental phase for a while, I guess. And yeah. <laughs> finally just like grew out of that. and was like, okay, I'm just going to hold my horses and just pick solid cards that don't commit me too hard to any one strategy or uh, game plan. And yeah, it's going better doing that. Oh. Yeah, that's uh yeah, I thought last episode was really good, especially for yeah, 
getting me to frame how I should draft sort of differently. Or it was it was interesting because I um I was emailing back and forth with Ben a lot about last episode, and he he kept being like, yeah, but all he was saying was that he should like be solidly in two colors, then figure out what his splash color. So that's all he was doing is drafting like it was the last format. But I was like, exactly. I think that's like the important insight is is this format is closer to the last format than it leads you to believe a little bit. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. can, you can, even though you're like, oh, the fixing's not there or, oh, there's all these synergies. You can actually draft it pretty similarly in style, even if the decks are slightly different and still have a lot of success. And I think that was a good way to look at, you know, is to like, not try to overthink this draft format and just like draft it how we've been drafting. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think now that the dust has settled, it kind of is shaping to be <laughs> up to be a lot more like the last format than we we thought it was going to be. Yeah. Which is cool. I mean, it makes a lot of sense considering the defiance packs have a very certain feel to them and yeah. still kind of force you into a certain lane if you can find it yeah i will say the unfortunate part a little bit is there's still a few more feel bad games this format with where your opponent does happen to have like the amazing synergy deck and you're like oh there was like literally no draw i could have had that would have beaten these three scourstone sentinels oh yeah or they like slope sergeant your face off yeah <laughs> terrifying when they play multiple slope sergeants so let's go to card of the week. So Ruben, what's your card of the week? I picked Scaly Gruon. <clears throat> the old 1-4 for 2. That's super vanilla. Um, I think this card is... I mean, I, I like talking about this type of... This type of card in a lot of formats. As being just a really critical early play to keep your life total from getting too low, basically. Because if you have the right deck and you have some really powerful late-game effects and some a, a nice array of removal and stuff, just playing a Scaly Gruon and being able to pick off their best stuff while you just play even a small flyer and just win the game a lot of times. Um, this, this has been the case in draft formats and all the card games for a long time, you know, even magic. I remember this being a really common thing you would do in a fly. Like you'd pick defensive ground units and flyers. And that was like a, a solid strategy in just about every draft format I've ever played. So mm -hmm. I think scaly grew on slides into that perfectly. And on top of that is a dinosaur. Um, which isn't, you, I don't think you want to be picking it early because it's a dinosaur, but it's just a nice additional plus going into some of this uh, these synergies that can come open with the dinos. Because there are quite a few, like, bond. Not, he doesn't help with bonding very much. But, yeah, I was going to say. Uh, he triggers some of the allies' uh, dinosaur effects, which yeah. is really good. Because um, there's, there's a good number of those, and it has quite the impact. So that, yeah, that's it's my shout out to Scaly Gruon because it won me some games this week for sure. This is uh this is off topic, but do you know the four 
cost Elysian card that's a 3-3, and then Dinosaur Ally draw a 3-3? Oh, yeah. Is that card worth it? It just doesn't seem worth it to me, but maybe the drawing a card, drawing another 3-3 is, like, good enough? It's it's not bad. It's it's not game-breakingly powerful either. It's just kind of decidedly medium. Mm -hmm. Um, I I wouldn't waste, like, a pack one, pick one, or pack one, pick two, or anything on it, but... Sometimes you see them coming middle of the pack, and you can be really happy to take one because, yeah, they, they're they're good. They're not bad. Yeah, I guess I should just think of it sort of like um, the twin brood sauropod. But for some reason, I think like the twin brood is really good, and then I see that four power three three, and I'm like, this just seems awful to me. But I think I'm just looking at it, thinking. But, yeah, it twin brood is way better. <laughs> Yeah. Twin Brood's on a whole nother level. You're almost, you're getting the same power to stats ratio. Seven mana, you're getting six, six worth of stats. And for Twin Brood, you're getting, um, for 10 mana, you're getting uh, 10, eight worth of stats. That's, that's, I still think the Twin Brood's more efficient. I mean, I think Twin Brood's a much better card. Just, yeah. just in its impact on like a draft, because draft is not fast and has a lot of slower games that mm-hmm. having that two for one is just amazing. All right. So the card I wanted to talk about was not that card. It was a Coastal Beastmaster. The reason I wanted to bring this up is not to really ask about the card because it's obviously a powerful card, but it is doing, we're getting so many fewer of them than last format. And there's no obvious explanation to me. Because I still would pick these very highly if I saw them personally. And so it was like a top five common in the last format of the cart of the decks that we got. And, you know, we would constantly mention that there was like more there was more than one Coastal Beastmaster per Ixton deck that we received on average. And so it went from a top five card to now it's in the 70s. So weird. Yeah, yeah, that that is a pretty interesting statistic. Because at this point, now we've got how many decks in the deck list? I mean, I know we're going to get around to talking about the the spreadsheet. So it's like a hundred and something decks now. It feels kind of significant. I I've noticed a lot of them being passed really late myself as well, and I'm still passing them because a lot of times I'm in a different lane. And I think Beastmaster was also kind of a splashable card in the previous format and right now like splashing has become more difficult to pull off without the strangers in general yeah so, it, so maybe it's like a lot of people who were playing Geneve and were like oh i can, can just run a couple of strangers and this you know a seek power and play fit a couple beast masters in my deck because they're super worth it right and super powerful but so maybe it was like a highly splashed card that is now just the gone down because splashing itself has been kind of a diminished thing. Because I'm seeing a lot more straight three faction decks were coming in right now in the, the spreadsheet. You see a lot fewer than we used to have. It used to be like a lot of four faction, or like three and a and a splash happening a lot. Like a lot mm-hmm. of people were doing that, and now it's it's much more rare. I think it's a lot harder to pull off just because the fixing got worse. Pretty, yeah, pretty yeah, but I guess that's what's surprising to me is that 
you would s- still think, you know, even if splashing is harder, that there would still be as many Beastmasters per Ixton deck that we received. So anyway, I just also have been seeing fewer be- Beastmasters. So it's just kind of interesting that it was like the, st- I think it was like the staple card of the last format where everyone was playing it and everyone was trying to play it. And then in this format, it's like really gone down across every metric that we track. So now we'll let's go to our seven win run breakdown. So like I said, we've had over 60 deck lists submitted just this week. So we're at over 100 deck lists in our spreadsheet. I can look up the number right now. 112 deck lists in our spreadsheet. So nice. thanks everyone. And uh, yeah, fasten your seatbelts because we've had 25 uh, different contributors this week. Let's begin. So our new contributors are Alex A, Angel A, KCH, Celtic Guardian 7, Fernando N, Jeff W, Cassandrith, Mr. Meeker, and Tim J. And then our veterans are Abednego, Ben Grasher, Brian R, Collector, Daniel C, Dwiggy, For the Eternals, Dastardly Gato Sujo, <laughs> Jose Carlos 2121, Old Rich, Raven Dragon, Listener of the Week, Ruben L, Rofer, Spiro, Starstorm, and Shogun Tokugawa. So nice. thank you, everyone. And for those of you who have yet to submit a list, um, if you do get seven wins, uh, remember you can send them to farmingeternal at gmail.com and we'll put them in our spreadsheet. And you can check the show notes or our Reddit post to uh, see a link to both spreadsheets. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we haven't put uh, links to the card-by-card spreadsheet, but we'll put that back in the show notes and Reddit posts starting this week i think so let's talk about breakdown so once again interestingly you know most of the decks that we're receiving of the 60 uh the 61 decks 30 of them were straight three color we had six four to five colors um we had 16 two colors with the splash seven straight two colors and our very first ever monocolor list since we started the podcast. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so that's pretty well I'm gonna well, give hey, a... let's let's give him a shout out. Who was is Jeff W with yeah, a, Jeff a mono w. a mono time deck. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Definitely I mean it's it, it's a little surprising. I guess when I very, very first saw the cards that came out, I probably would have said we'd see a little more like straight two color two faction decks. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, now that I've played it myself too, the fixing's not so bad that you can't right. play some extra powerful cards um, in yeah. a third in a third faction. But uh, yeah, we're actually seeing a lot of just perfectly split, you know, three ways, three fa- you know, three faction decks. Yeah, which you know is it, not surprising now that I've played the format. I feel like it's it's definitely you still want to be going in on some of these really powerful effects in the defiance packs, especially. I think what's kind of interesting is uh, part of the reason that it seems that 
people are able to do that is just like the format has slowed down a little bit and people just everyone's playing these like slightly greedier decks and so it's it's you know so you just have you have time to miss your influence requirements a little bit i think and you have yeah i really miss my sledge yeah (laughs) i got so many free wins with ruination sledge decks and stuff where you just like play it i would play like an unmoored valkyrie and then turn to ruination sledge and i'll just go all the way yeah it's like do you have conflagrate no you lose yeah which which isn't happening as often because they they did take out some of those really powerful aggressive weapons and stuff which is fine i think it, it's it was good kind of good for the format because some some of them were also a little overpowered like i think everybody thinks changey stick is just yeah. o- always been like ridiculously powerful and in, in the limited formats yeah the boogeyman of the format yeah even even with the nerf it still was so powerful yeah and and like to further that um it was really uh, i was watching man of mouse for a little bit uh at lunch one time this week and he was talking someone asked him about how the format was going and he said he had recently switched his draft style to once again focus on aggressive fire decks to sort of take advantage of everyone's greediness and playing like a lot of one and two drops and he was having a lot more success when he started doing that and that kind of resonated with me because he actually we went through the same cycle with in the last format where you know when we started the podcast uh you know Zenin was one of our most received deck uh deckless faction pairs and it felt like the format was a little slower and then i had this exact same uh soliloquy where i said i listened to man of mouse saying that he had started playing all these aggressive fire decks and was having a lot more success um and then so i started doing that and having more success so anyway the point being that this sort of resonated with me and was i was thinking of changing my strategy but then all of a sudden now fire was like our least received deck this week and time and primal like had a big boost in decks that we received so time is now our most drafted color Hmm. um with primal right behind it and fire we had way way fewer decks um percentage wise that were main fire and fire sort of taken on a splash role in a lot of the decks we received so now I'm a little confused on whether on what this all means. If are people having <laughs> less success with fire, or has the format slowed down even more? And now you should really be in fire to take advantage of that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean that's the that conversation about whether or not there's like a flow of meta games and yeah. stuff in in draft is always fascinating to me, and very hard to prove. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to get numbers. I I like to stay a little more zoomed out personally from yeah. the the deck lists, um, rather than looking too much week to week what's happening. But, yeah, but I, yeah, I do think that we're we're now in like a statistically significant realm potentially with our number of deck lists, um, which is why we're talking about it because I, I think we we avoided 
getting too deep into it initially um, as far as like some of the stats. So I think that's a good work our way into the next topic, which is the top 10 comments mm-hmm. on the spreadsheet right now. And I think this list is pretty cool. There's a few surprises for sure. I know we talked about how Dispel is is that number nine right now, which is pretty interesting. That that kind of uh, supports the theory that the format has slowed down and gotten a little grindier. Yeah, that that to me is like the ultimate grindy game plan <laughs> card. Like I, I would never put that in any deck that had even a remotely aggressive bent to it. Um, because it's you not. You don't think? I think you could still justify it in the sense it, that. Well, yeah, no, it'd it be, takes it's a flyer still, out of the air. Yeah, it's 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 definitely playable, but like, yeah, I suppose that that's a situation where maybe it's relevant, but I I think more often than not, it's it's just kind of a incremental advantage type of card rather mm-hmm. than changes the board state immensely. Yeah. Um, sometimes it does though, because to be fair, it can sometimes have a major impact. There's some units that shrink significantly when they get silenced and things like that. Um, but like uh, the Sentinel that gets plus six plus six <laughs> when you have a relic. Oh my God! You dispel that thing. You're feeling real good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really, really. It's basically a removal spell on that guy. But yeah, so a no- our number one common Bannerman. Not too surprising, isn't it? Kind of stayed steady number one this whole yeah. time, right? Yeah, it stayed steady number one. Though the other cards are catching up to it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to hold that spot in all likelihood. I have trouble seeing any of these other cards just because it's it fits in all the decks. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, number two, quick, hot on their heels, is uh, Infused Guardian. That's just a super powerful card. It is. And it's the fact that it jumped to number two is sort of a testament to how well time did this week in the number of deck lists. We just got so many time deck lists that a bunch of time cards made it into the top 10 right now. So five of the top 10 are time cards. Um, Two more are neutral, two are fire, and one is shadow. And good old Carindon Stewart carrying shadow on its back once again. It's the only shadow card, and it's once again, like, shadow is is our lowest drafted color, and yet Carrington Stewart still makes it into the top five. It definitely is a super time-heavy top ten here. Mm-hmm. Super, super heavy. I mean, there's no Justice cards, and there's one Shadow card in yeah. the top ten. Yeah, so, it, yeah, we've got Conflagrate at number three, which isn't very surprising. I, I'm a little surprised it's not number two, to be yeah. honest, but... Um, and then Nocturnal Creeper at number four right now, which is, you know, just a fantastic card. I'm having lots of success drafting it as well, because it does kind of slip right into any of the decks that run time really easily. And then, yeah, number five, Karen and Steward doing everything for those decks. And then below that, we got Trailmaker at number six, another time card. Below that, we get Granite Acolyte isn't too surprising that it made it on this top 10 list and then seek power below that then the dispel at number nine and then power breach sentinel another time card so we've got power breach sentinel dispel 
Trailmaker, Nocturnal Creeper, and Infused Guardian all in the top 10 most played commons right now. So if you want to know what a good deck looks like, I guess just draft these cards. <laughs> all yeah. these cards seem to work well with each other, too. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit the last format. You know, the fact that um, Time has so many cards up here in the uh, top 10 sort of just means that Time decks in general look very similar because it all, you know, because there's like five cards that sort of most of the Time decks that we receive have. Yeah. Well, you know, Primal has is our second most drafted color and it has nothing in the top 10 doesn't even have a card in the top 20 you know it has three and three cards in the top 40 so like it just means that even though primal there's a lot of primal primal decks that we're receiving it's like the makeup of them is very different deck to deck yeah well, this is also an incomplete picture, obviously, because yes. we're only talking about commons. Um, so it, it maybe some other decks rely on the depth of uncommons and cer certain powerful effects. Yes. Because I know Frostwave and cards like that are just way above and beyond <laughs> a lot of the other uncommons and the other colors. So Yes. And I, I think we'll, we'll get around to talking about that, too. Yeah, well, we can jump right into the uncommons because that yeah, is true. that is true because this the same thing did happen in the last format where Primal just had quite a few powerful uncommons, which is what was carrying it. And so let's see if that holds true again. So our number one uncommon, Resolute Monk, followed by Courier Albatross, then a newcomer, Ancient Defenses, yeah, then Season Spelunker. Locus, Parry, Defiance, Linebreaker Shield, Annihilate, and Cliff Diver Mantisaur. Yeah, so this I'm... this list looks like a great starting place, especially yeah. if you're a new player and you're wondering which which cards are the broken ones to pick early in pack one. Yes. This is, this is a great list of those cards. Because none of these cards are it's except for uh, even Ancient Defenses is arguably good even without Sentinels. But, like, all of these cards are just really great on their own. Yes. Um, and obviously that's going to be the reason we're going to see more of them in deck lists, and they're going to have a higher representation. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't uncommons that can match these in power level. Just that in a vacuum and for early picking purposes, like, if you're trying to, like we were talking about, avoid those synergies and those synergistic cards early and instead focus on cards that are just solid and make all the decks. I think this list is a really good starting place. Yeah. I'm a little surprised Resolute Monk's that high because I've found it's pretty easy to answer. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's very strong and it can run away with games too, but there's, there's enough ping effects that I, I don't find it to be a problematic card but yeah no i don't think it's a problematic card but maybe it just speaks to what we were talking about where you know the format is slower and people are you know missing their influence requirements and stuff sometimes so maybe a resolute monk can just get it done it does and i, I mean it, it's gonna go into any time deck too yeah on top of that even even if you were incredibly defensive, you would still probably 
find room to throw one in. <laughs> no, I, I because it's such a great turn to play for just about all the decks. Yeah, and then the other uh, I think really interesting thing about both of these top tens is how few of what we would call um, like synergy payoff cards there are. Like the only real synergy payoff card is Ancient Defense. And you would and have argued that it, it's good on its own. It's not really, a, you know, it is a synergy card, but it's not really a synergy card. And yeah, so, and you're, you're likely going to find a Sentinel or two. Yeah. Even if you're not, a, you know, a Sentinel deck going all in on the Scourstone yeah. Sentinels. Like you still, it, it has the chance of boosting the attack of some guys. And just it's just a decently solid removal spell on its own. Yeah. And but so yeah, our... I, I think, like I said, though, I, I think the list is obviously going to be, like, as far as the top ten, like, most played cards is you're not going to see the synergistic cards in there just yeah. because those decks are just harder to pull off um, than maybe even I anticipated when the format started. So it's, I, I think we're seeing an equalizing of the statistics into just just showing that m- most people are just having success sticking with the 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 good cards that kind of glue those decks together. The, yeah. The inf- your infused guardians and stuff does it, you know, they're sentinels and they have the plus side of helping some of those potentially, but they're also just amazing five, you know, five drops. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, yeah. No, I will say, say, you know, the synergy decks are harder to put together, but you know, because we only collect seven win decks, it also just means like even if they were hard, well, even if the synergy decks were harder to put together, if they were like head and shoulders more powerful, they would still show up more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it, you know, we're not collecting every deck, we're just collecting the seven win decks. So even if like, you know, it's kind of like how rares, like some rares are just so powerful that we get decks, we get way more decks with them than we should. And the same thing can be true of synergy synergy decks. Like if if the Sentinel synergy deck was so much more powerful than any other strategy, even if it was hard to put together, we would just get more of them just because it was like anytime you did put it together, you would get seven wins. And I guess to me what this says, and I could be wrong here, is just that they're even they're both hard to put together and not that much appreciably more powerful than just a good stuff deck like we were drafting in the last format. Yeah, I think I think this is the the data here is kind of backing up my intuition as I've been playing kind of going back to the isomorphic strategy of staying super open and like mm-hmm. avoid avoiding you know conditionally powerful cards and synergistic cards and just sticking with your meat and potatoes good draft cards and waiting to kind of pull the trigger on any wild cards until they kind of show themselves later in the packs which i think is a it's just a good approach maybe in general <laughs> in a lot of formats yeah. once once you kind of 
have felt things out and understand what those cards are. That took us a little bit of time to figure out as well. Because the format has slowed down a little bit. Like, I know last week Cassandrith mentioned Iron Hook as a mm-hmm. card to keep your eyes out for. Like, it's something that we hadn't even discussed in the previous format. And both of the seven win decks I have on the spreadsheet from recently have an iron hook in there and it did some really impressive work for me it was really good like it did exactly what we joked about at killing scorpions for me so i could get damage through and yeah yeah there, there's there's certain certain cards once you kind of have felt things out and kind of get a sense for how fast the format's playing as well does also have an effect on things like that i think that's that's something you hear a lot of like um, really good players who I watch and listen to say talk about that a lot about the speed of the format being yeah. a very important concept for them to figure out when they're approaching a new format. Like, how fast is it playing? Like, do I need to like really dig my heels in for a long back and forth, or is this format that's all about? Um, you know, Voltroning and trying to kill your opponent quickly or something. And yeah, I think I think we're seeing a slight slowdown all around, which is yeah, it's make it makes sense. So yeah, now I guess we'll move on to our main topic, which is uh, Ruben's controversial corner, where um, Ruben talks about cheer lists. <laughs> this is I I didn't know that was going to be the name of this segment, Ruben's <laughs> controversial corner. Uh, you know how much I I. Like, I'm sure people who've listened know that I, I like to leave things open to being flexible and interpretation and stuff a lot. And I, I'm not the type of person that gives solid declarative statements about cards or concepts, but I have always kind of had a dislike for tier lists in Eternal. So, I mean, that I don't think that I'm also not going to say they're useless by any means. I, I really do. I, and I asked some of my teammates and stuff what they thought about tier lists this week and a lot of them came back at me saying kind of what i expected there was a range from i use them at the very beginning of the format um as just kind of a guide and then just drop it all together and never look at them again or i use them for the first few picks of my first couple drafts and then you know quit using them and then i've had other people say they actively avoid them altogether which is how i kind of also do it just because i I like the process of drafting and coming to my own conclusions is fun for me and i know that a lot of other people feel similarly and just as you're playing paying attention to what's beating you and what you're winning with those are the points to really focus on um because at the end of the day, I mean, I know some of these tier lists get pushed out a little quick for my tastes. So there, it's it's not only is it sometimes fast, just first impression sort of stuff um, mm-hmm. in these tier lists, but also is just someone else's anecdotal evidence, basically, which I think should always be. It's it, you can use it, and you can definitely listen to it and. Um, and act accordingly. But I, I think that the most important information you can get is just jamming games. Right. So, yeah, that 
that that's you know that concept of the speed of the format and stuff those things you can hear people say it but you really have to feel it to a certain degree too you have to notice things like wow these games seem to be going till i'm conceding on turn seven in this format or oh god every single one of my games is going to turn 20 or plus like every single game Right, <laughs> which is is always worth noting, and so s- slowing down and figuring that stuff out too is good. But yeah, I, I also you know am I'm not well versed in Eternal tier lists either, so I'm not sure. Maybe they there are a lot of really good ones out there. This is another one of those segments where we're both in complete agreement. I don't really use yeah. a tier list. I will say about tier lists, one of the interesting things is I was listening to Limited Resource is after the last um, Mythic Championship, and they were talking about um, LSV's team's Mythic Championship prep. And he was talking about one of the most important things is that they do is just talk about rare tier lists and what they do is they put their like format, they like make tiers around the commons and uncommons. So they're like, these are the best, like pack one, pick one worthy commons and uncommons. And then they show, and then they would list all the rares that were better than those pack one, pick one commons and uncommons. And then the rares that were worse than those pack one pick one common and uncommons and then they would have like the second tier of commons and uncommons and then show like what rares were higher and lower than that because rares are like a category of card that you just no one plays enough actually have a good sense of every single rare in the format and so a tier list can help you know like pack one pick one should you pick this rare or should you pick the con flag or whatever Right. While, um, so that was like kind of an interesting use of a tier list that I had never really thought about is, and I mean, it's more applicable to like at a mythic championship where you're like timed and you just need to know when you're like flipping through your 15 cards, like, should I pick this rare, even though I've never played it or should I pick, you know, this good uncommon card. And that's like a little less applicable when you're just like drafting for fun in eternal, but it is still interesting that, you know, tier lists can just, like, maybe help you understand cards that you you really don't have any experience playing with. But again, in general, like you were saying, I think it's better just to experience the format and learn to be able to evaluate cards on your own. Especially the commons and uncommons, which are the meat of draft, and are, in general, just, like, simpler cards than rares, so are a little easier to evaluate their power level. I think it's it's interesting to think about the the implementation of a tier list in higher level play. Like I, I'm kind of curious whether or not the World Championships and Eternal is going to have a draft portion because if they do, like I don't know if this tier list idea would be good. <laughs> it's hard to say because also part of it might be knowing what you're having success with and what yeah. your ten- your tendencies are and maybe if if you threw all of your support in on one of these tier lists and just decided to go with your team's 
tier list despite it not you know working for you necessarily or i i don't know i th- i could see some some issues there especially in eternal where like i've talked about this before you have knowledge of certain types of strategies and game plans and decks yes. and as you're drafting you're kind of trying to increase your repertoire of decks that you understand and know how to build well and draft well and um i don't think you should be drafting one that you haven't uh, played before or thought about like i played quite a bit i hear people talk about how karendon sucks and like i win lots with karendon and the i've I've done it quite a few times in the format and it's it's i feel like it's one of those decks that i've spent time on like i've really like <laughs> kind of honed in on the certain specific cards that make it function and um and that's that's helped me they're mostly good stuff decks obviously but <laughs> occasionally I can squeeze in some empower stuff here and there. Um, but that that's that's not something like my tier list might look different for myself than yes. I would want to hand a teammate and be like, oh, here's your tier list for the for world championship. I don't think I'm gonna do that. I've I've got a few teammates in worlds, but I don't think I would I, I it'd be it's exciting to think about helping them with the draft potentially, but um we don't even know if what the format is for worlds yet. Yeah, and I do think, you know, some of those things is, like, some of those Carindon cards, you might not even rate highly if you were to just rate them in a vacuum. But just because you have so much experience with that faction, you just intuitively raise cards in your evaluation and pick cards higher, even though I think if I just, like, handed you a list of Carindon cards, you'd be like, oh, that one's not really good. That one's not really good. That one's not really good. But when you're going through the drafting process, you know, because especially you who are, you know, are always talking about drafting a deck and a game plan, I can just, I could see you sort of, you know, picking cards that are good in that deck with, you know, that might not be sort of in a vacuum objectively good. And that's also really... I think that is an important, um, you know, aspect of drafting is I think it is important to, in that sense, embrace your biases and embrace your play style and what you're good, you're good at, especially because I, I look at so many deck lists that we've been receiving and stuff. It's really interesting to me to see you do see patterns in the deck lists that certain people submit. And not that they only submit decks of this type, but, you know, one example I think I've used before is uh, uh, Rofer, who is a really good player and sends in a bunch of decks. And he is just always able to make Aurelian Relics work. And I think that was definitely not the best deck, the quote-unquote best deck of the last format, but he just knew how to build that deck and knew how to build and knew how to play that deck and was just like always winning with decks that I think first off, I would probably never be able to build, like get into and build such a good deck. But even if you handed me that deck, I don't think I would win with it as well as they were able to just because I just didn't know the deck as intimately as they did. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to learn without just putting in the time and, (laughs) 
it, sometimes you just never even get around to it. I, I know that that's that's happened to me too in in old Magic formats and stuff. There were there were times where I just literally it was like I had two different decks that I drafted, and whichever one was open, I just went with. And yeah. you would have good success with that type of strategy. I'm sure, like, and, you know, when we talk to Isomorphic, I know I'm a, I use his name, like, constantly, but I really do think he's probably the best drafter by a long shot. And he can literally draft every single combination of factions and has no preferences and understands kind of all of those different strategies. I think we're all kind of working to get there to a certain yeah. extent. He's just has a head start. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also not easy because, you know, drafting in Eternal costs money and yeah. time or actual money. And so, you know, it also depends on how much tolerance you have for losing to figure out these different decks that you might not have experience for. And you just might not have <laughs> the time or the money to be able to do that. So Yeah, some... yeah, I know that, that that's kind of a funny joke in Eternals, like, Oh, how do I make masters and draft? It's like, uh, how many gems do you have? <laughs> how much gold do you have? Yeah. It's basically you can just jam until you get there. I think that's selling it a little short. I think that it's it's not it getting to masters and draft is actually quite the um accomplishment. It it really is. Like good job to all the everybody who's been doing it recently cuz or anybody on their way, because it's it's not easy. It, it, you definitely can backslide really quickly and easily. Yes. Um. But but ultimately, you just you got to stick with it until you put in a string of a couple of really good drafts, and then you'll get there. So, yeah, I I, I know we we got off topic a tiny bit as far as the tier list stuff, but that I think we we pretty well uh, covered it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I said everything I wanted to say. It was. I don't think that was too controversial, was it? (laughs) Yeah, so the last thing that Ben is a service to all our listeners. He added the um, TDC tier rating to all the cards in um, his spreadsheet, which is uh, um, the Excel spreadsheet, which goes card by card. So you can, it's kind of interesting to compare, you know, how well cards are doing in the decks that we're receiving to their tier rating. And I don't think there's necessarily any easy or single explanation for any of that, but I think it is good to think about, you know, why those differences might exist for different cards, you know? So like either maybe the TDC tier rating, you know, you could decide that's a little off or like sometimes, you know, they rate a card good or bad, and it seems obviously good or bad. So, like, why are more of them or less of them showing up? So it's just kind of like an interesting thing if you have the time to kind of go through the spreadsheet and and kind of look at that kind of stuff. So this is a draft that I did earlier this week, um, and it continued my streak of not doing very great in this format. I think I went 2-3 or 3-3 three, three with... Uh, this deck also, which has been a pretty consistent theme over my past week. So cards in contention for pack one, pick one. Um, Cards in contention are Champion of Cunning, which is the five Felm, five five, and 
if you have a lot of influence, you can get Flying and Aegis. And if you have a lot of Shadow influence, you can give all your units plus two attack at the end of the turn. There's also a Snapping Brushstalker and a Vara's Choice. I took the Champion of Cunning, uh, mostly because I really had no idea uh, if I thought it was good or not. So I asked the Discord, and everyone said, take Champion of Cunning. So what do you think? Interesting. Uh, it's pretty close with Vara's Choice to, for me personally, um, just because uh, Xenon is a better place to be to me than Feln, which... I don't know. That, that's just personal preference. But I, I think a 5-5 five, five for 5, because his influence requirements for casting are only one primal and yeah. one shadow. So a 5-5 five, five for 5 is just a solidly good stat line in Eternal. Um, it's really not not bad, and it just has... It's like a, it, Think of it as more a 5-5 five, five for 5 with the potential to have game-altering upside. Yeah, those are oh, just so expensive. They I know, are. I, I know five primal and five shadow. That's really hard to imagine in a game of draft. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm the one who took the champion, but like, I was just I was I think negatively swayed by, um, the Discord chat because I just it just doesn't seem any better than a five five, a five five for five, which is you could just take a snapping brush stalker and get a five five for four. Yeah, I mean, snapping brushstalker is a card. It's not, uh, it's not horrible by any means. It's also, its effect. A lot of people think of its effect as being only a downside. Like, oh, they just play any predatory instinct and it just bounces my guy, or they play you know anything, and yeah. my guy bounces. But also that keeps it from dying to a lot of removal. Um, yes, because you can't you can't kill it with a removal spell. Like it it just keeps coming at you. So it's. It's really better than I think some people think it is. Especially if you put that aforementioned Predatory Instinct on it. Oh yeah, then you really get to go nuts. Yeah, then you've done it. <laughs> that, that, that sounds fun. Yeah. I know, that, that, was a, that was a deck people were trying to pull off a while ago and constructed. Yeah. Because um, it's an enemy spell whenever is yes. an enemy spell is played, it bounces, not any spell, so... Yeah, you can you can give it killer and just go crazy. Um, okay, so where would you land in this pack? You know, I probably would have taken the Brushstalker, the Varus Choice, personally. I think Varus Choice occasionally just is a super super powered blowout of a card. Yeah, and and I, I'm finding that you know as we're seeing a lot more splashable, like splashing in three faction decks and stuff that. Um, that card fits in both Carindon and Aurelian, which are both decks that I personally like to draft a good amount. Yeah, they seem to be open a lot. I've, I mean, God, that draft I talked about with Gaunon and uh, Magikarp, they had a fifth pick Death Strike. <laughs> I was like, what in the world? What is going on? That is just complete insanity. I can't imagine that four players pass that card. Yeah. That, I think that's changing. The first week or two, I was, I just felt like Shadow was open all the time, and that has been less true recently for me. But interesting, I've always felt like Shad Shadow for some reason is just a color that people, some people just really hate and just yeah. always avoid. 
I will gladly not avoid it and take yeah. it. And no, I agree. Best. I mean, I feel like maybe that's why I was having more success at the beginning of this format because I kept falling into shadow. And now that shadow doesn't, I, I never seem to fall into these shadow decks. I don't know. All right. Well, okay. what's, so what's which one are you taking? Thing? You got to, no, you got to, you can't oh, say. You're, you're putting it on me now? I take the brush stalker. Okay. Give me, give me a five five for four. I'll, 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 I agree. I'll take, I'll take the dinosaur. I disagree with my former self. Okay. So pack one, pick two. Cards of contention. There's an ancient of the ice caves, which is the four primal primal shadow shadow four four with overwhelm and ultimate pay eight to make each player discard their hand and draw eight cards. There's a Stone Powder Alchemist, which is the 3 Justice Shadow 2-1, Lifesteal Revenge, Summon Deal 2 Damage to the Enemy Player. There's an Extinguish and an Enraged Directed On. And I took the Ancient of the Ice Caves, uh, <laughs> I had, which, I, which is also just a 4-4 four, a four, four for 4, but I figured since I had a 5-5 five, five for 5, uh, in the same colors, I might as well take a 4-4 four, for four, 4 and live the dream, right? No, this is a pick I'm going to solidly disagree with. Okay, yeah. Um, I, it's because, like, the champion from the previous pick, having just the single primal and single shadow influence requirements yes. makes it a lot easier to cast than double primal, double shadow mm-hmm. for, for really just merely a 4-4 four, four for 4. So the, the chances of you having those influence requirements on turn four are real rough, and the payoff isn't even spectacular. So I the definitely... Like eight cards sounds amazing. I definitely would have picked the Extinguish or the Alchemist. Um, probably the Extinguish. I think that card has been really good and, yes. and seems to turn the tides for a lot of decks. Because there, there's not too many decks going a lot bigger than, than four in my experience. You you always have a really good target for it. Yes. Generally speaking. And on the the really rare occasion triggering nightfall so that they can't entrapment your guy. <laughs> I've actually seen that happen, which is hilarious. But that's not actually relevant. But, you know, it's a removal spell, so I would take it. Okay. Pack one, pick three. Cards in contention. There's a, a Stronghold's Visage, which is the five Combray Relic, at the start of your turn, gain one life and one armor. There's a Shadowlands Bone Picker, which is the three Xenon, three, three, pay five to give Shadowlands Bone Picker plus two plus one. There's a Privilege of Rank. There's a Fishing Dinoc and a Serene Excavator. And the card I took was the Shadowland Bone Picker. You didn't take the Heroic Bravo? I did not take the Heroic Bravo, the Unmanned <laughs> Heroic Bravo. This uh, this pick I totally agree with. Yeah. The, the bone, bone Picker is just ridiculously strong. I think it's a premier uncommon. I think this is a great moment for it in this particular draft. Yeah. Because I'm not, I wouldn't be that ancient <laughs> ice cav- caves or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I would already have abandoned that. Like, oh, this is Eden 3 premier three drop is where it's at because this guy he gets plus two you pay five to give him plus two plus one and you can and they just keep stacking so there's some games and like we've said the format slowed down so because of that you can just keep stacking this until it becomes a 
uh, just a monster they have to trade half their team with. Yeah, um, the problem or... is it's always dispelled the turn after you play it. Yeah, <laughs> always, <laughs> always. But yeah, so you're actually sitting pretty, pretty, pretty with uh, the brush stalker and the extinguish, and now exactly in your colors are Shadowlands Bone Picker. Yeah, and the dinosaur to boot. Yeah. So pack one, pick four, cards in contention. There's a family charter, a minotaur duelist, another fishing dinoc, a sandglass parma. And I took the family charter because there's no really good felon cards. There's just a a triggerman and a, a voracious fasora. And I, I just felt like family charter is pretty good and it left me open to, you know, <laughs> to see what was happening. Yeah, this is a tough one. I think I personally would have taken the Minotaur du- Duelist. Hmm. Um, just because its effect is just crazy powerful. It's it's sometimes it's just a game ending card for for an aggressive deck. It can drop on turn five and 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 put your team, you know, through their biggest blocker. Um, and also in a defensive situation, it's a revenge three, two that stunts, you know, it's, it's really, it's just a really solid card. And I, I still wouldn't have been super committed one way or another. I think the closest for me would be Sandglass Parma. So that would be my, my debate would be between Duelist and Parma personally, because I think Parma is just a very powerful, it's like one of those cards that the more I drafted, the more impressed I am with it. Yeah, because there's so many times where I'm like, "Oh, please draw my fifth power, power, please, please, please," because I just like s- win the game on the spot and <laughs> yeah. slow them down and ramp into my next big play. Like it, it does a lot for, especially some of these decks that are going bigger too. Yeah, but man, I just, I just have had a lot of success with Duelist in the past, and I just kind of have a really soft spot for Minotaurs too. <laughs> yeah, that's int- I don't think I would have ever taken the duelist here. Uh especially even in your especially in your world where I was solidly zenin after three picks, just the double justice would scare me away from the duelist. Well, it's it's Karen, man. It's just adding justice to my zenin deck. But I, yeah, you're right. I guess I should think more about that. But yeah, well, remember we talked about how I like to draft Karen, and so I would yeah. have not—I would have been thrown off by a really great justice card at all. I, yeah, I would have just taken it. And I know. It. I just—I wish all the good justice cards weren't justice, justice. Yeah. Well, they're not, as we'll see in the next pack. <laughs> yes. Which, so, it, it, I mean, I—I I feel like yeah, would have been super rewarded to follow it up. That duelist with this next pack. Yeah. Pack one, pick five. Cards in contention. There's a monolith guardian, an enraged directed on, finest hour, entrapment, and a mithril mace. And I took the finest hour as the most obviously powerful card, I think. Yeah. Finest hour is great. Entrapment's yeah. also great. Um, you know, there's, there's arguments to be made that it, it isn't as effective in a more aggressive style of deck potentially and sometimes i picked them and had to leave them out because they just didn't make sense with mm-hmm. like a, a renowned deck or something like that um whereas obviously finer stower is going to go and 
even a defensive deck like Safinus Hour, like that. Yeah, that card is just highly impactful and really hard to play around, and just has, you know, I'm sure anybody who's been playing much draft has both won and lost plenty of games with that card. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that was a good pick here for you, even even though you you know you had the bone picker the and the two feln rares and the family charter yeah um i think this is this is a fine time for your first justice card especially since it's just above and beyond the rest of the pack though a monolith guardian it's <laughs> you got to say it's a really good card it's just really really powerful yeah it goes it's, well with my family charter yeah but but like uh we were talking about how Cassandrith you know, was kind of telling us to, to to bide our time on the tribal synergies and stuff. I think that it would be good advice here too as well. And just yeah. pick the good card, take the finest hour. Yeah, and I I will say my one defense. I think taking the finest hour shows that I'm still I'm not wedded to any of my picks because n- nothing from my perspective is leading me in any one direction right now. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so pack one, pick six, cards in contention. There's a Yeti Windflyer, there's a Copper Hall Marshal, there's a Scourstone Sentinel, and a Mithril Mace. And I took the Scourstone Sentinel as my first time card. Um, I guess I mostly did this because this seemed like a glaring time signal because they usually don't. Um, come this late, there was a monolith guardian in the last pack. So I was thinking maybe Sentinels is a possible deck to get into. Interesting. I mean, well, let's see the, the top four cards in this pack, Yeti, Windflyer, Heroic Bravo, Copperhall Marshall, and Scourstone are all kind of synergistically vented cards. I think Copperhall Marshall is the one that is, you know, it's synergies are less important. It's still just a solid three, three for three. Yes. Um, which I'm finding is kind of critical <laughs> in this format. A lot of times, like it really does come down to when I'm playing my opponent, I'm just waiting to see, you know, Oh God, do they, are they going to have the three, three for three that just shuts down my entire game plan here? And <laughs> if, if they don't, I'm like, all right, I'm getting in there with all my tutus and stuff. And <laughs> Yeah, I, I have a chance to tempo this game out. So yeah, it's just a decent stat line in the format. Um, Mithril Mace also needs to be in the conversation. I think as a as just a play. A, you know, we we're talking about avoiding synergistic cards once again or too early. Myth, Mithril Mace is not a synergistically focused card. It's just kind of a solid relic weapon mm-hmm. that has the upside potential of being a two-for-one um, when you have board stalls and stuff, which do seem more frequent than they used to. So uh, I think relic weapons are pretty good right now. Uh, for the same reason, Iron Hook is also pretty good. Yeah. Although, although like, Iron Hook was... Cassandra's mentioned it because it didn't commit you any direction. Influence requirements got a little tougher, so it's good to have them. Yeah, but I, I would have taken the Marshall myself in hmm. this pack, um, just just because of the potential upside. Okay, and nothing so, else is striking me as particularly amazing. 
So you think I'm just overvaluing Skyrstone Sentinel or the signal it's sending, or um, that's being sent by it being a sixth pick? Yeah, I, I mean, there weren't a lot of other signals that Sentinels were open in previous picks, although they, the previous picks might have been too early to tell. Yeah, though, I mean, I you know, if you had full hindsight, like, you could be making a pretty solid mono time deck right now <laughs> you know starting brush stalker into dormant sentinel into serene excavator into sandglass parma into model of guardian into scourstone sentinel i mean i i guess you know uh, this is obviously looking back but i wouldn't say that there's no signals i'm defending myself but i i kind of agree t- with you that i'm it, this probably just means that I'm doing it wrong, and that because I just saw this and I was like, "Oh, this is an obvious Scourstone Sentinel," because there's no reason this should be going sixth pick. You know, someone should be trying to get into the Sentinel deck by now. Yeah, I think maybe if I, to be honest, if I had to pick between synergistically powerful cards in this pack, I might go with the Yeti Windflyer over the Scourstone, mm-hmm. um, just because I think it's. Uh, more generally good and can fit, you know, even with a slightly smaller number of Yetis into a deck. Whereas Scourstone Sentinel is a little more of a focus build around type of card. You really have to f- try and get those early four and five drop Sentinels, which is not quite as easy. Yeah, maybe I'm just trying to go too big in this format and I should just go back to my old ways of just drafting a lot of two drops. Which I yeah. think. If you look at uh, some of Ben's comments in the decklist um, spreadsheet, Ben has been commenting a lot that there have people are winning decklists. A lot of them have a lot of two drops. So maybe we should be emphasizing just trying to go under people and drafting a lot more aggressive decks and prey upon all of these people who are like, who see a six pick scour sentinel and are like, I'm going all in on sentinels. <laughs> um, you know, maybe I'm just drafting this format wrong and you just intuitively like decks that work well in this format. Let's see what was, okay. So you took scour stone there. Yes, I did. So now your, your deck's looking wacky. <laughs> it, I'm all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so pick seven, uh, cards in contention, there's a Dark Return, a Strength of Many, a Time-Worn Sentinel, and a Predator's Instinct. And I took the Dark Return. I think it's a good card. I have three shadow... <laughs> I mean, multicolor cards, but three shadow cards. So, I think that's a great, great call here. Okay, and then cards in contention for pick eight. Um, there's a Foraging Sauropod. Uh, final shot rioter and a devour and study marshal and i took the foraging sauropod even though i only have one dinosaur so it's once again it's like a powerful synergy payoff card but not <laughs> not in the right tribe for me so i imagine you would take the final shot rioter and feel pretty good yeah yeah absolutely i think that that card's great um Deadly is just so good in in draft, and especially a two four deadly when the format's getting a little bit slower. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think I lost a game recently to somebody who just played two of them and just kept swinging, and I just yeah. like eventually lost the game. <laughs> like, okay, I've got to set up a double block to take down this one, and before I knew it, I'd you know taken just a huge chunk from just those two guys. To finish out that pack one, uh, I continued to be all over the place, especially as far as synergy is concerned. I picked up a l- lucky prospector for all of my uh, attachment relic synergy, a cryptic <laughs> etchings to power my lucky prospector, a frontier confessor, which is hey, a card. That's a, that's a premier common to me. I, I think that card's great. Yeah, and a predator's instinct. So I think what all of this tells me is that I should have been in Carindin like you were. Yeah, yeah, I think I think justice was was definitely open to justice and shadow especially. So Arjunport primarily was the most open combo. Yeah. All right, and then so pack one or pack two, pick one uh, cards in contention. Uh, the rare is Chunk Chunk, which is the four fire fire primal primal four three pledge summon uh, stun a unit and renown play a snow fort. There is uh, a mug. A Begone, a Carindon Steward, and a Power Breach Sentinel. And so then I took the Carindon Steward. As we always talk about, Carindon Steward always, always overperforms. So. Yeah, I think Carindon Steward was a great pick here. Because it also fits with your your spell suite. You picked up a Predator's Instinct and a Dark Return. It's great with both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, yeah, it's so, so solid. It's. Power Breach Sentinel obviously is is always hard to pass, um, but it's more replaceable than Carindon Steward as a as a uniquely incredibly powerful two drop. All right, and cards of contention uh, for pack two, pick two. Uh, there's a Bizarre Stampede, probably not fitting into my deck. <laughs> there's a Pitfall Trap, would be great with that Stampede. There's a Maddening Whisper. A flickerling and a barrel throw, and I took the maddening whisper. Nice, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, this was a fine pack, a fine pick for your deck. You're still a little, I guess, focused, un- unfocused, and I think maddening whisper is a card that I've played in both defensive and offensively focused decks. Yes, to to either just clear out blockers or to stave off attackers and damage that I, I think has been slightly underrated by the community. And it's in, it's in our top uncommons. It's pretty high up there. So yeah, I'm not, it's, it's, it's really good. It's, it's the fact that it's high up in the uncommons and it's also the type of card. You're not going to want a ton of multiples in a deck, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a solid unit or anything, but it, it's, it still pulls its weight a lot of games. Um, just as one of the, you know, I, I like to think of it in the same vein as, um, like overrun as a card, a classic draft card in magic that, that, you know, gave th- for those of you who aren't magic players, it was just a basic give your team plus X plus X and overwhelm, um, which is really, really great a trample on magic, of course. But, um, I think of maddening whisper as a similar sort of effect that just clears away blockers and allows you to just 
alpha strike your opponent a lot of games. Yeah. Well, you would take Maddening Whisper for your deck, your Carindon deck too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I probably, I, I, yeah, no, definitely. Okay. Looking at what I probably had, yeah, I would have been solidly Carindon. All right. We're actually going to skip to the end here because I did um, screenshot the rest of the picks, but this whole pack was just absolutely awful for me. So there were just no really good cards. So like the next pack two, pick three, the only card in one of my colors was a breath stealer, which is not <laughs> very exciting. Oh man. Then the next one, I was forced to take a be gone. Uh, I took a token, another token, and it was just like no good cards were coming to me in pack two. But then I ended up, I think with a pretty good deck. And I ended up um, in Aurelian Colors. Um, so at 18 units, a Lucky Prospector, a Copper Conduit, two Carindon Stewards, a Pack Beast, three Bang Sarasaur, two Serene Excavators, a Shadowland Bone Picker, Snapping Breaststalker, Breast Stealer, Champion of Cunning, Infused Guardian, Dormant Sentinel, and two Scourstone Sentinels. The attachments, Family Charter, Secret Passage, Improvised Club. And then I had a pretty reasonable spell suite of Dark Return, Predator's Instinct, Dragon Breath, Awaken the Ages, Storm Spiral, Maddening Whisper. Nice. Yeah. This is pretty it's pretty cool. I like the way it came together. I think that there's there's some pretty interesting synergies going on. Especially the fact that you, you picked up a Storm Spiral and it doesn't seem to hit a whole lot in your deck, actually. Yeah. Um, that you can set up turns, even like Bang Sarasaur and Karen and Stewards and stuff, like are bigger than two defense, you know, on your turn when you can play a Storm Spiral and potentially clear out some blockers and stuff. I think uh, cards, cards like Storm Spiral are always uh, tricky to evaluate because... Th- a lot of cases, I know I, you hear people say things like, uh, probably shouldn't play it because it kills this, this, and this in your deck. And it's like really Storm Spiral and cards like that that do damage to all units are a little more flexible and powerful than that. And you can set up situations to your advantage with yeah. co- with combat or something to, to help you out. So it's not always as simple as, uh, play only if doesn't kill anything in my deck. Um, it's not usually correct. And a lot of times these, these sweeper effects can come out of nowhere and totally devastate your opponent if they're not, you know, prepared for it and not, you know, it's, it's hard to play around. That's for sure. I know that I've, I've, uh, walked right into them before and there's almost no way to predict it or to have played otherwise, you know? So yeah, I like that. I think, and you got double Scourstone Sentinel is little tough you got the copper conduit and the infused guardian yeah um are really it yeah so you're you're you've got some and you got two serene excavators which are gonna have a little trouble triggering in this deck it's too bad breath stealers and a shadow sentinel i thought about that i i checked a i double checked a couple times no, this this deck looks good. Have you played games with it yet, or you... yeah, I went two three. Like, oh, okay. Decks. Well, it's all right. It's yeah, a a bunch of the games were just were like I just need to draw a storm spiral. 
and then if I drew it, I won, and then if I didn't draw it, I lost. I think this deck is emblematic of of where I've been in this format, where when you just like look at all my cards, I think I I've drafted like a very high power level deck, but my decks just haven't been working. And I wonder if part of that is I keep falling into these synergy traps where like I try to make Scourstone Sentinel work because I'm like, oh, well, that's just a powerful card. And I should just ignore that and just lean into just more more generally good cards. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the weakest point I could see with this deck list is uh, tr- trying to reach for scour stones, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just just the, the chances of them not working out in this list, especially is uh, a little too high for yeah my liking. Cool. Well, so that's the end of our show. Once again, uh, thank you all for listening and a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play and thumbs up all of Barefoot Farmer's Reddit posts. And as you've probably heard ad nauseum in this episode, uh, please send all your seven win deck lists um, you guys do to farmingeternal at gmail.com and remember to keep on farming. Ah, okay, we did it. You're going to do the bonus? Super bonus? No, it's 10 o'clock. I can't. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why do you have a lot to say? No, I I just... I pushed into top 100 really easily with uh, Ilya K's Ixton Blitz deck that he posted. I'm currently undefeated with it. (laughs) Are you still playing it? Well, I just stopped playing because I was happy to be top top 100 in both. Um... I know I, I didn't really have a reason to camp my rating, but I don't know. Sometimes it just it just feels good to sit there. Yeah. Well, you're probably more used to competitive play, but I was playing the Rats deck, um, and I just like couldn't real. I wasn't undefeated, but it felt like I couldn't lose for a while, and I like stumbled into to like 150 or something or something close to that, and then. Nice. I was just too stressful. I was like, I don't want to play anymore because I don't want to lose. <laughs> that's that is yeah. That's something that happens to people in all video games generally. Yeah. When you have a like a ladder ranking system, it's yeah. sometimes it's easier to click the casual button yeah. than, than ranked. I've always found that to be true for myself too at times. Yeah. Though, though you know, in Eternal, I. I I think that, you know, a lot of new players come into the game and are like, what should I do? And everybody's like, just play ranked. And they're like, really? And then everybody's like, yes, don't touch casual. Just keep jamming ranked because, you know, that's going to help you the most to improve. And it's going to pit you against people closer to your skill level and stuff. So, yeah, don't give up. I think you you can get it easy. Yeah. You could be top ten with the right run right now. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they also had all these balance changes and stuff, so I'm not sure if it would. Oh it. yeah, things things have changed a decent amount. Expositioned, but it was also it was, it was pretty cool doing so well with the rat deck because I was like starting to play top 100 players, which was also a new experience. Um, so it was pretty cool playing sort of like 
quote unquote like well known names, you know, like Tony G and stuff. But, and I'm not sure how I like boosted my MMR so high that I was suddenly doing that. But but Hey, you just you just had a good run. Yeah, so it can happen, everyone out there. Even I even I playing rats could somehow stumble into uh I, no, you just finally stopped playing Replicator. Well, no, now I now that I now that I I I started trying Replicator again in casual. It's, You're not, like, oh, okay. it's, it's not a well positioned deck right now, <laughs> unfortunately. Probably not. No. All right. Well, that's good for t- tonight. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was forget. You're just an hour later. And my kids wake up in seven hours. Oh. I know. that's. The, <laughs> I know. That's the word. Because you're like, oh, 10's not that bad. And I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> Holy moly. I know. Yeah. That is rough. 